Now, Coach, normally we start the show, I ask you, when you first got to the varsity football team at Georgetown High School, who was the first person to bust your butt? But you kind of took this one a little bit different. So so it was actually in coaching you got your butt busted a little bit or a little bit yeah. of walking to varsity moments. So tell us about that. Yeah, well, it's probably uh, me not being smart enough to read your question when, <laughs> you know, I read it as, <laughs> as uh, when I went to coach on the varsity level, who was the first player that really wowed you. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I answered with – a kid named Jordan Shipley who happened to play for us yep. uh, here in Burnett. You know, I, I started, uh, I started my career. I actually went to Tarleton and student taught at Stephenville high school in 1998. And at the time, Art Browse was still coaching there. Wow. And I was fortunate enough for him to let me come and uh, help him run some scout team and just do some stuff to practice, but be a part of that team that went on to win the 1998 state championship. They went 15 and one and won the state championship and they had some really good players. And so my first season, I didn't come from a coaching family. Mm -hmm. uh, sports was always big to us. My dad coached me in some Little League stuff and things like that, but I didn't have anyone in the profession. And so I was kind of first generation and pretty new to that profession. And um, uh, when I got to Stephenville to student teach, Coach Bryles had actually been the head coach in Georgetown when I was in like elementary school. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he, he kind of got a bad rep there. He he uh, Georgetown was 4A football forever, which is 5A now. And uh, he got there during a two two year realignment where they went up a classification to 5A right. and they got in the district with uh, uh, Waco and Colleen and A&M consolidated and a bunch of schools that were really, really good at the time. So he went like three and seven both years. They let him go in a different direction. Uh, but down the road and he didn't know me. I didn't play for him or anything like that. But I ended up student teaching at Stephenville for one of his assistant coaches and got to be around him some and just a huge, huge fan of how, for one, how, how genius he was as an offensive coach, but also just how he treated people. And, uh, and they had some really good players on that team. So my introduction to coaching is we win the state championship. And I'm like, man, this is the greatest profession ever. You just show up and you win, you know, and, uh, and we all know that coach long enough that, that it'll slap you in the face in a hurry. Um, so I come to burn it as a first year coach. I go to coaching school in Fort Worth in 1999. I, uh, you know, back then you didn't have the internet to rifle through the jobs that are available and all that. And so um, I just go up there. I didn't know anything about coaching school. I go and I pin my resume up on the board and, and you've been to some coaching schools. You know what that job room is like. It's, yep. it's a madhouse. And I go pin my resume up on one side of the room and the other side has all the job openings. And so I pin it up and I, I mean, I'm there not, I've, I'm long enough to pin my resume up and walk across the room to go look at what jobs are open. And the guy on the microphone says, uh, hey, uh, uh, Jared Rye, will you meet Tony Baccarini from Brownsboro, Texas at the front of the room? So I go up there and we interview immediately. I mean, I literally had not been there five minutes. And uh, and so we talk and he offers me a job on the spot. And I'm thinking I must be this just great coaching candidate. Right. And so I say, coach, man, I just got here. I'd like to look around a little bit. And no sooner do I get up from his table to go look for another job. They call me up there to interview again. And wow. I do like five interviews in 20 minutes. And then I'm thinking I'm this great candidate. Now I've been a coach at coaching school trying to hire somebody. And I go, we're in desperation mode. We'll take anybody that can walk <laughs> in. You know? So, so as, I, as I got to know the profession a little bit, it was pretty humbling to go, yeah, you're not quite as good as you thought you were. But so I end up interviewing with a guy named Ed Abernathy. I'm going to make this story a lot longer. It needs to be up. I apologize for that. But That's fine. I uh, – I interviewed with Ed Abernathy, who at the time had been in Burnett as the head football coach and athletic director for probably about 20 years. They, uh, we sit down and he sees my resume and he said, so you student taught at Stephenville. And we had that year in Stephenville, I say we, I was no part of it at all. I was uh, 
the get back guy on the sideline and ran scout team quarterback in practice. But uh, I got to be a part of what was at the time, probably the best offense ever assembled in high school football. Uh, we were throwing it around back when nobody was, we were reading stuff out of the shotgun back when nobody was. And, and that was just coach Browse influence on it. And uh, so he says, uh, coach Abernathy says, he said, so you were at, at uh, Stephenville. I said, yes, sir. And he said, well, they really like to throw the ball around, don't they? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, we're double tight wishbone. And I said, okay. And he said, and we never get out of that. In fact, one of my favorite coaching lines in the history of my 24-year career doing it is he said, uh, he said, we're double tight wishbone every snap. He said, every once in a while, I take one of the tight ends and I split him out wide. And he said, if nobody covers him, I tell him to get his ass back in here and block somebody. <laughs> and so that was his approach versus Coach Browse is drastically different. But Coach, uh, he had a lot of success doing what he did. And it really, in my first two years, being in such diff drastically different um, systems of football and coaching staffs and all that is what you found out earlier is there's a lot of ways to be successful. And uh, so I go on in those first two years, I coach at the middle school. Mm -hmm. uh, my very first year in Burnett, we had a kid named Stephen McGee, whose dad was the head basketball coach in Burnett at the time. And he had lived with his mom in San Antonio. And the year that I came to Burnett, he also had moved here to Burnett with his dad. And he was in the eighth grade. And that was a good class for Burnett already. And then Stephen shows up. Well, he's, a, you know, in middle school, he's a, you know, 5'10", 5'11", good-looking kid who can straight spin the football. And we're going to get double-tight wishbone and go triple option every down, you know. And so – we would go on the road where we would go on the road. We'd throw it eight or 10 times a game, which for uh, our system back then was just completely airing it out. But when we were right. at home, we had to run it every down because the high school coaches were there to watch the games. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so I, uh, I spent two years at the middle school, my second year there, um, coach Abernathy retired and they hired Bob Shipley as the head coach. And, uh, Bob came in, of course, he, uh, a lot of staff changeover. Uh, he brought a lot of guys in and, uh, he interviewed some of us that were on staff. And he offered me the varsity wide receivers job. So uh, my first varsity coaching job uh, was in the uh, season of 2001 uh, as the receivers coach in Burnett. Well, Bob also brought with him, you know, his son, Jordan, who yeah. turned out to be a pretty good player at the time. You know, we had seen some of his highlights. He spent his freshman year in Rotan, Texas, little bitty, mm -hmm. uh, the smallest 11, one of the smallest 11 man schools in the state where you can just imagine how hard he was to tackle on a, on any time you gave him a ball or a punt return or kickoff return or anything like that. So he actually comes to burn it and Bob has plans for him to play quarterback. And uh, we start doing some stuff in the spring and throwing the ball around. And, and I remember the first day we went out there to do it and Jordan and Steven are both with the quarterbacks. And then the, you know, we're broke up by position and I've got the receivers, but um, Jordan tells the story that he went home that night and said, dad, uh, I think I'm in the wrong position. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not beating this other kid out, this McGee kid out, put yeah. me at receiver, let us throw it to each other. And I think we got a chance to be pretty good. And, and we ended up being pretty good. So uh, we got on the field and it was very, very, very apparent his sophomore year um, that when we played games, he was the best player on the field. And it wasn't even really that close, whether right. we were playing people that weren't very good or people that had a lot of talent. I remember going to Wimberley that year, their sophomore year, and Wimberley beat us 24-21. First time I ever played on a turf field. They had the new kind of turf, not the flat turf, the actual yeah. turf that looked like grass. They were some of the first ones to get it. Our kids are out there in pregame with five different pairs of shoes. They don't even know, you know, you look back now and go, you just wear cleats, knuckleheads. But, you right. know, they've got basketball shoes on and all kinds of stuff on trying to figure out what to, what to do out there. 
But even in that game, they had some really good players. They had a kid named Mikey Meeks, who was one of the best players around here for a long time. And and uh, but Jordan was the best player in that game, and it wasn't close. And so we knew, um, man, he was special. And and he got to a point in his career, you know, his junior and senior year when we had been here for a little bit. Man, there was a lot of times we played, and and we were we were the best team in our district by a pretty good ways that, that we almost felt like at any point, if we told him to run down the field to Steven to throw it to him, we could score, you know, and, right. and he was that much different than everybody. And not just that, but, you know, throw him a fast screen out there. And, I, you know, if you were playing tag in a phone booth, you couldn't get him down. So he was right. just, he right. was just that special and, and that dynamic. And so the, the biggest, and, and that's after coming from Stephenville who had a kid named Cody Cardwell, who had 2000 yards receiving as a senior, but Jordan was just uh, – he's different. And, you know, he the my first year as a varsity coach, he's in my position group, and to this day he's still the, the most dynamic player I ever coached by far. It always feel like I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy. And one more line, record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy, initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy Alright, welcome back to another brand new episode of the Team Player Podcast This is episode number 77 This guy comes specially recommended to us by Team Player Podcast alumnus, episode number 70, Sonny Wilson This guy was Sonny Wilson's former position coach, kind of like he was for Jordan Shipley So you've coached many a great athlete there in Burnett, Texas uh, but eventually, he returned to become the uh, head coach of the Burnett Bulldogs football team. It's my pleasure to welcome Jared Rye to the show. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. If you're a part of the team player movement, please make sure you just take five seconds. Give us that five-star rating wherever you're listening. We have 64 on Spotify, 30 on Apple Podcasts, so we're we're really growing. That helps more people find the show. So please give us that rating. Uh, if you want to leave a written review, I will read those on the show. You can and hit that follow button. That way you'll subscribe and you'll get a new episode in your queue every Sunday. We will be honored if the Team Player Podcast made it into your rotation. And I'm your host, James Kovaleski. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. All right, Coach. So I keep records on this just to verify. So you won a state championship as a student teacher on the Stephen <laughs> yeah. Did you get yeah, a ring? I, I, uh, I did get a ring. I uh, I remember uh, seeing Coach Browse the Monday at, when I was back at school, you know, student teaching in the PE class. And he happened to come walking by and he stuck his head in it. And that's all he said is, hey, he said, hey, we'll get you a ring. And I just, you know, one of the happiest moments of my life. And I still have it to this day. And uh, it, it's funny because, you know, I, I tell people all the time is when you start like that, you think that's how it should be. When it turns out, there's only <laughs> those are really, really hard to come by. And I had a couple other times in my career where we got to the state championship game and didn't get it done. And a couple other times we made some deep playoff runs. But. Um, you, you realize how really special those are when you get to be a part of something like that, for sure. Totally agree, Coach. You're my 77th guest, and I've got guys that are winning Coach of the Year and some of the greatest guys and gals, you know, all different sports we do here. Only nine, including yourself, have won a state championship as a coach. So nine out of 77 have done what you well, got to I, do. 
We'll, we'll preface it with this. I was a student teacher and I probably had the most limited role of anybody there. I, uh, I literally on Friday nights, in fact, my job was the get back coach and I was so bad at it that we're playing Andrews in the first round of the playoffs in, in, uh, in the Mustang bowl in Sweetwater, one of the coolest stadiums in Texas. And, uh, my only job is to keep people back. And at one point, and the game was back and forth. They had a running back named Shaw Williams who went and played in the NFL and uh, we're like number one and number four in the state. We're playing in the yeah. first round of the playoffs. And uh, it's going back and forth. And it's literally a we score, they score, we score, they score. Well, we throw a, a, a quick pass to uh, a receiver on our sideline. And he takes off and he's running by us. Well, he goes by us and I peek out to watch him go score. And I get annihilated by the official running down the sideline. No. And uh, I just kind of, I, I popped up and I kind of slunk back. You know, you've seen that meme of Homer Simpson going back into yeah. the shrubs. <laughs> into the bushes. That, that, yeah. was, that, that was me going back into the players on the sideline. And the guy got up and he looked back and he kind of reached for his flag and he didn't throw it. Uh, and then that, that uh, but I saw him go talk to Coach Bryles. And uh, I remember Monday going in and Coach Browse calls me in his office. And that's a scary proposition at the time. You know, he is the dude in high school football at the time. And uh, he, he said, uh, did you get run over by an official on the sideline? I said, yes, sir. He said, you know, your only job is to keep everybody from that from happening to anybody. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and yeah, and he, and he kind of side eye looked at me and he said, did you knock him out? <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> kind of like uh, made light of the situation a little bit. And then before I left, I got the don't ever let it happen again. And it was, yes, sir, it won't. And it didn't for sure. I was much more conscious of what I was doing after that. Did you just get a sideline warning or was it a personal foul at that time or, or was it nothing? No, it was, just, it was just a warning at the time. And I don't even know that he gave an official warning. You know, now it's automatic. There's no sure, flag. Sure. This was, this was 25, 23, 40 right, years ago. Right. And uh, he got up and I saw him go kind of get in Coach Browse ear about tell your people to stay back. And that was kind of the extent of it. So I got pretty fortunate that, uh, you know, now that's probably a touchdown called back. And, and right, exactly. in a game that we were in, that that would not have been a good thing for sure. <laughs> that's why my heart sank for you when you told that story, because I was kind of thinking in present <laughs> yeah. days, like, this student yeah. teacher lost us the game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I probably um, would not have been, that would have been my last day on that campus, I would assume, if that would have happened. <laughs> well, Coach. I've been talking to you about five minutes, man, and now I, I see why Sonny recommended you, man. And I, I know you got you got a, you got a tea time at five, so we got to keep it moving. But like I, I already can tell, man, you got a great way of telling stories. And it's funny you say like that first year as a student teacher, you win the state championship. You're like, oh, this football thing's easy, you know. But yeah, I kind of lived that too, coach. My first ever year of coaching, I go to Fort Bend Clements. We have a quarterback. You might know us. You've coached some good quarterbacks. We had a guy named Derek Carr was our quarterback at Fort Bend. Yeah, Clements. he was he was okay. Turned out yep. okay. His brother David, of course, was playing for the Texans, and that's yeah. how they ended up there because yeah. they're from Cal California. We go thirteen and one, Coach. We're first time in school history going this deep, thirteen and zero, going to the regional final at Rice Stadium against the vaunted Katy Tigers, man. So mm. the Katy Tigers mm. come running down that tunnel, man, and we we end up getting thumped that day. But there I go, man. I'm, I'm 22 years old, first ever yeah. time coaching thirteen and one. Football's got a funny way, Coach. My last year head coach Aldine High School, we go zero and ten. And so yeah, I always yeah. tell people, man, my career worked out that way. And I've seen it all. It sounds like you've probably yeah. kind of lived some of that too. But man, I, also, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, like I said, that year was, was really special. And, um, we, I, I, two years in Burnett, we made it to the state championship game and got beat. Uh, I've had a couple different runs where we've gone, you know, to the, 
we've gone to the regional finals several times, but I've also been one in nine and uh, never got right. to Owen 10 more, but I've, I've been one in nine <laughs> and, uh, and, and it'll, it'll humble you in a hurry, but it also, man, it makes you realize how hard this profession is because I look back on the years that we were one in nine or we were, you know, 14 and one and played for a state championship. And I don't know that I coached any less hard or worked less hard those years. I'd right. probably worked harder trying to figure out the answers, you know? Yeah, and, I, and so it'll, uh, th that's just, that's this profession. It, it's, it's a difficult one. It's a very difficult one. And, and, uh, it, what it also does, and it made me the, my, I spent my last two years, I spent 20, including student teaching. I had a 24 year career and, and, uh, really had stopped looking for a head coaching job when I got the burn it one, but I was the head coach in burn it for the last two years. And one of the things I told myself is we're going to enjoy wins. Um, whether, whether we're the favorite and we win or we're the underdog and we upset somebody or whatever the case may be, we play bad and win by one point or we, it, whatever the case, if we win a game, we're going to enjoy it because when you've done it long enough, you realize how hard those are to come by. Amen, coach. And I, one thing I was guilty of when I was a coach at a, you know, a successful program as an assistant, sometimes we'd go scout a playoff opponent or something. I'd see a certain team that's going one and nine or zero and 10. I just look at them like, man. How could they be so bad? Like I kind of, I got to be honest. I kind of assumed <laughs> yeah. the coaching was terrible. Yeah. I'm, I'm being yeah. honest here. I'm, being, you know, and sure. Once sure. I became that guy, and I got to be behind the scenes, like you said, I think I did. I got better as a coach from going zero and ten. And that's sure. why I would say that's what I'll tell coaches: don't just assume things about programs because some of the best yeah. coaches I've met have been on those zero and ten teams. And once they get some talent, they really, yeah. really take off. You know. Or, or what you see is, you know, I coached in the Metroplex for a while and some of the inner city Fort Worth and Dallas teams struggle and we might trade film with somebody and you're watching that and you're like, and you say the same thing and, and right or wrong or indifferent, you look up there and you're like, man, these, they just must not be getting coached. Like how, how can, how can that guy do that on that play or how can they let that happen? Well, you also, you're not in the shoes of that coach every day who, Man, practice is an afterthought sometimes. It's yeah. can I just get them there? Or right. uh, does does little Johnny have so many issues at home that he can't think one thing about what we're trying to teach him on the field? And and that leads to not only enjoying wins when you come across them, but but the value of, of everything outside of what a win even means. You know, it's so far down the road of the things that you really if I think if you're in the profession for the right reasons, the things that you're really doing on a daily basis. And you just hope they lead to some wins, you know, because you're, you're affecting kids so much. Well, coach, I really, I like that story of your, your, your coaching school experience. We've all been there and seen the, the, the resumes, you know, posted up on, on, on the board there. And uh, I love the perception is reality. You know, you thought you were hot shit. What you didn't know is those coaches were desperate. <laughs> That's why. Oh, for sure. They're all telling me, uh, Hey, they leave saying, Hey, don't take another job. Call me. You know, they, yeah. they give you a number to their hotel room or something because you didn't have cell phones to talk back then. And, and I, I'm not kidding. I, I went and called my wife at one point and I'm like, we, we're just, we're so marketable and we can go anywhere we want in the yeah. state just because of how great a coach I am. And, and at the, you know, and <laughs> my last two years in, in Houston and San Antonio sitting in that job room and looking at six resumes and 150 jobs open and yeah. begging one of those six to call me because I need a middle school coach is Amen. you realize Amen. in a hurry, it didn't have anything to do with my ability. Oh, that's man. for sure. Love it. Love it. Now, coach, on this show, honestly, a lot of it is not necessarily just X's and O's. We just kind of talk about you as a person. You grew up in Georgetown, Texas, for those that don't know, just about a half hour north of Austin. So it kind of goes Pflugerville, Round Rock, and then, you know, uh, uh, Georgetown there, just straight north of Austin. 
And you graduate in 1994. You play for Al Hunt, who was the coach in Georgetown after Art Bryles. Again, that, that Bryles connection there. You played football and baseball, and you said you were a much better baseball player than football. So looking back at your time at Georgetown, and Georgetown is a growing city. I know Southwestern yeah. University had football recently. It's a lot of like yeah. great growth in that that part of the city there, just north of Austin. But what are your some what are your some of your memories of, of growing up in Georgetown? Well, you know what's funny is um, we we live in Burnett now, and that's where I started and finished my coaching career. And I tell people all the time, if you drive through Georgetown today and you drive through Burnett today, they're vastly different places. But I grew up in a Georgetown that was a lot like Burnett is now. In fact, my wife and I, we, we dated in high school and actually coming up on our uh, August 1st is our 25th wedding anniversary. But um, we, 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 thank you, we graduated from, both of us did, Georgetown High School, 1994, with 1,200 kids in the high school. Well, the, my, my daughter just graduated from Burnett High School with 1,100 kids, and I'm going they were the same place. I grew up in Georgetown. There was two roads in town. And if it wasn't on those two roads, it wasn't in Georgetown. Well, that's how there's two highways that come through Burnett. And if it's not on those highways, it's not in Burnett. So for one, we've enjoyed raising our kids in a place similar to the one that we grew up in. But the growth in Georgetown has just been insane. Of course, second high school, and they're probably not far from talking about a third. Um, they've got more kids in both of those high schools, twice as many kids in both of those high schools than we had in just our one that we went to. But I loved it. Um, it was a place that – and now is, is different. Like, if I go to a Georgetown football game now, I can pull out a roster and not know any of the names. Where when I got out of high school, there was still a six-, eight-year stretch before it completely blew up where I'd go back and go, that's so-and-so's little brother or that's so-and-so's cousin or that's such-and-such's boy. And, and, and Georgetown was a fun place to grow up in because it was a small town. You know, we had a square that was had about three businesses on it, so very, yep. very similar to – to burn it's now and now georgetown's is that you go on a friday or saturday night to the georgetown square and there's thousands of people down there well we're starting to see little places open up on the square here so it's it's really it's really neat the similarities between where i grew up and where my kids grew up and uh, and how how closely how similar those two places are but but love my time in georgetown uh, al hunt who i played for you know he was he was art browse's offensive coordinator and when art was let go they hired Al Hunt. Well, if if you imagine yourself on a staff and they let you go and hire one of your assistants, you're probably wondering, did something go on behind the scenes? Or, sure, or that's sure. that's a little bit of dirty pool. But I loved Al Hunt, loved playing for him. Um, and the I, I talked about the story where I got hit on the sideline. We're playing Andrews, round one, Sweetwater, and, and Al Hunt is the offensive coordinator at Andrews. Well, naturally in pregame I'm out there catching punts and throwing them back or something and I'm about midfield well I turn around and there's coach Hunt well I played for the guy we knew each other well so I went over there and gave him a hug good luck coach that sort of thing well the Stephenville staff was full of some competitors and they saw me go hug a coach from the other staff and especially that one guy that took Browse job in Georgetown you know and I kind of got the hey we don't do that we don't do that you know and and, uh, it, it was it was uh but it's so funny how and you know this being in the coaching profession, how small the circle of coaching is, yes, man. Yeah. You're, you're never – I always talk about how people use Kevin Bacon and the degrees right, of Kevin right. Bacon, how quick you can get to them. Usually someone can say, hey, do you know coach so-and-so? And you're a couple degrees from, well, I coached with him who coached with them somewhere. Right, and right. and coaching's that way as well. And it was for me that, that year I was student teaching, I look up and the guy that I played for is on the other sideline in one of the best games that we played in that year. So – you know, Coach, one thing that amazes me is everybody loves the Hill Country. 
and it amazes me that there have been so many like kind of like now Dripping Springs is kind of one of those places that's blowing uh, blowing up. You mentioned Georgetown did it last episode. We had Chase Fickison, who's from Lake Travis, and he played. Yeah. So he played football there, and so people, you know, that when they find out he played for Lake Travis, like, oh, how many rings do you have? Little yeah. do they know that they won three games in three years. You know, the oh, yeah. years he was there, we, right? We, he was there at the beginning. Yeah. So, so we, I was actually in Barnet. Uh, my first stint was ninety nine to two thousand six. And the last two years that we were here, we were 3A forever, which is today's yeah. 4A. They, we moved up to 4A in a district with uh, New Braunfels High, New Braunfels Canyon. Lake Travis was in there. And now you think Lake Travis and Burnett in the same district, that's crazy. But this right. is while we were growing a little bit, and they had not yet. And they hadn't had much success. And it kind of all started those two years. We uh, They beat us both years in really close games. In fact, the last time we played them, I think they beat us 42 to 35 here in Burnett. And then two years later, they went on a six year run of winning state championships or something like that, you know? So it's, that's crazy too, is it, and you know, Liberty Hills right down the road from us. And that's a, it's always been a good rival of Burnett until the last few years, they've grown at a rate to where they're completely different places. In fact, I just read an article today that they're opening high school number two next year. Mm. Uh, they've had it in the books and it looked like it was still going to be two or three years down the road, but next year they're going to have high school number two open. And the reality is, People flooded into Liberty Hill from the North Austin area, the Leanders and Cedar Parks, to get out of the city and go to the small town. Sure. Well, now Liberty Hill's about to be two high schools. The next small town is Burnett, Texas. Wow. And there's a little wow. bitty town between us uh, called Bertram. and But Bertram is consolidated with Burnett. So the, the natural progression is going to be people are going to go, well, we want to get out of Austin. And they're not going to stop in Liberty Hill because it's swallowing Liberty Hill up. And the next stop is Burnett. So I think Burnett is probably – it's pretty unavoidable that the next 10 years are going to be some pretty significant growth out here. No, I mean, I, I find all that stuff fascinating, you know, just, just the <clears> trends <throat> and, the, and the way that people move like that. But after your time at Georgetown, you head two, two hours, 20 minutes north uh, to Stephenville. And this, was, this mm -hmm. ended up being fortuitous to start your coaching career. But you go to Tarleton mm -hmm. State University in Stephenville. And I'm really interested in this story. This is going to be great for our, for our listeners. You go to Tarleton with the hopes of walking onto the baseball team after meeting with the coach and pretty much being discouraged from trying out. And I can tell this is a formative experience for you. You yeah, never, yeah. you didn't try out and you regret it to this day. And it shaped your mind about how you can encourage or discourage kids. So tell us about what, what happened with that coach at Tarleton. So I, uh, I go to Tarleton and, and like I said, I was a better baseball player than football player in high school. And, and uh, really my the whole life growing up, I really loved the sport of football. And I, I loved the the uh, scheme of it even before I, I coached when I was in high school. I, I loved some of my football coaches, and I'm sure that had something to do with it. And both the baseball coaches that I had at Georgetown were influential on me as well. And so I go to Tarleton, and I just at, go to Wisdom Gym where all the, the, the offices are. And I don't even know if it's the same anymore. I know Tarleton's twice as big as it was back then. But um, I walk in, and, and uh, I go in his office, and – and he was a he was a pretty gruff old man. He had 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 some success coaching at Tarleton. They had always been pretty decent in baseball. And I go in his office and just tell him that, hey, I'm you know, and I'm at the same kind of like at coaching school, thinking I'm this great coach. I probably walked in there thinking more of myself as a player than I really was. And uh, and I go in and just say, hey, I'm coming to school this fall and would love to try out. And uh, um, what do I need to do? Like like mm -hmm. you know, what what's the next step? And and, man, it was just from the start, it was this – I mean, he never came out and said the words, you don't try out for baseball. But he said, well, here's how it goes. You know, we show up 
whatever day it was, middle of September at five in the morning and we run six miles. You think you can do that? And I'm like, yeah, I think I can do that. And he's like, well, most people can't. So I tell him, don't even show up. If you, and just, I just got this vibe. It was like, and it was, and, uh, and I've got 25 players back from last year's team. So I don't know how much room there is for anybody anyway. And, you know, just right. this message came to me basically. And, and, you know, maybe as a coach, he went, I don't want to deal with a bunch of people that I don't need. Um, Right. I, that's not the approach I would ever take, but sure, uh, sure. I left that meeting going, he, I mean, he's already, his mind's made up. Like, why would I show up to do something that has no chance of being successful? And so I didn't do it. And, and uh, I made some great friends. My college experience was awesome. Um, my best friends in the, in my life are friends that I made in college and loved my time at Tarleton. Um, my wife and I both went there. Uh, we got engaged towards the end of our, our time there. We got married as soon as we graduated. Um, so I, I don't look back on my college career with any regret or, or anything like that. But there's choices like that. And I think of it like when a kid comes in, came in my office when I was coaching and told me, Coach, I, I want to quit football. Whether they were a good player or a bad player or, or, or a guy you knew would never help you, I always tried to talk them out of it because yeah. – there's so much there's so much outside of the game that where the value is in being a part of a team, uh, being a part of a sport, being a part of just being a part of things that I would always try to talk them out of it. And I would tell them every time they left my office, I'd hug them. And I know you're going to make the best decision for you. I want you here. You know, I'd always make them think about it for a day and come back before they made their final decision. And uh, but I would always tell them, man, I, I think you'll regret it. And I look yeah. back at that and go, yeah. man, I should have showed up and run those miles and see, make him cut me, you know, make, make right, him tell me right, I can't be a right. part, but at least, uh, at least give it the the chance to, to go, to go be a part of something. And if nothing else, just to, to not to have the regret of not doing it, just like I would tell those people, you know, if, when you graduate, you, you're going to quit your junior and senior year, or your senior year. Um, at some point you're going to look back and regret that a little bit. And, uh, and it's probably the same lesson that I was telling those kids that I didn't, heed myself when I was in that office that day that's the beautiful thing though is coach these regrets that we have in life they're good in a way too because now now they're you, you if you pass them along to the next generation you know I always sure. talk about I was always a team player until my until the one year that I wasn't that was my last year in college I want yeah. I was an offensive lineman always and you can tell I'm not really a big guy so I was having trouble <laughs> keeping weight I you know us linemen then or the the big skill or whatever you want to call it like I want to play tight end and I was like, oh, yeah, last yeah, yeah. year. And I, so I, I basically forced my way into trying to play tight end. And our team ended up not having a tight end coach. So I ended up playing like H-back. I was a starting <laughs> right tackle my junior year on this team. And now I'm, I'm the pitch man on option. Can you imagine that <laughs> shift, man? And it just it didn't work out the way that I wanted. And it's my biggest regret because at that time, I was only thinking of myself and not the team. And I was just yeah. like you used your experience for not, not challenging, taking on coaches challenge and trying out for your baseball yeah. team. I talk about that story and it helps people. So I, I really sure, appreciate you, sure. you know, sharing all that. Um, now, when you, I always ask this question, coach, whenever you got to school uh, at Tarleton, did you already know that you want to be a coach or were you coming in majoring in something else? That's all I ever wanted to do. I went the whole time. I, I was a kinesiology major from day one and, and I never wavered on that. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I never wanted for anything growing up. My dad was in the military. My mom worked hard. They divorced when I was in middle school, but we lived with my mom in Georgetown and, and uh, we weren't poor, but we weren't rich. So I didn't know, you know, for someone to say, don't go into education because the pay's not good. That wasn't even a, a thing for me. You know, I didn't know right. what was good or bad pay anyway. So 
I just wanted to do something that I enjoyed. And, and sports was kind of what I did growing up my whole life. Um, had some coaches that I loved and went, man, that would be pretty neat to be one of them. And, and that's, and uh, that's what I, I went into school to do and, and never wavered on that the whole time I was there. Hey coach, again, I'm really glad that Sonny recommended you because I had a similar kind of experience. You know, my, my mom's Japanese. I was actually born in Japan. Uh, my dad was in the army and that's how he ended up over there. So again, military father, I was born in Japan. And so we, we move here. My mom leaves everything behind. She's the only one in her family to have ever left Japan. My dad was an American, but a, a poor uh, Polish, you know, whatever, second, third generation Polish, not a lot of money. And so for me, like neither of my parents like went to like a four year college like that, you know, like I don't have parents that are UT alums or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and so my dad's a correctional officer, basically a prison guard for the state. He did that his entire career, mm -hmm. retired. My mom came over here learning English, started working at a kinder care is a date, you know, a daycare center. And now eventually runs a, a, she's a general manager of travel agency. So I, you, I was just like you, man, neither, when I got into the coaching and education, like all, both my parents thought that, wow, that's a great job honorable job yeah, yeah. paying job really yeah. you know like i yeah, didn't get yeah, perspective sure. man just like you said of like the you know coaching school and the resumes like to some people education is low pay but for others wow what a profession great living know? well yeah. you know my i uh my, i have a son who will be a junior at texas a&m and my daughter just graduated she'll be a freshman she's going to a&m as well and my son has always told me, he said, I want to coach. And, yeah. and I knew, you know, I got out of, this is my second year out of the profession. And when I had always kind of told myself that when he graduated, that that might be a time that I would want to do something different. And a big reason was, you know, I spent my whole life with his sister, who's two years behind him, who played every sport under the sun. She, she lettered in, I think, six sports at Burnett High School. And she, you know, during volleyball season, if they didn't have a Tuesday home game that started kind of late, I didn't get to see her play ever. Right. You know, Friday nights weren't an option. Tuesday, if she played early, that wasn't an option. Weekends weren't an option. Um, so uh, I, I kind of told myself, man, when he's done, maybe that's the time that – and my plan was just to teach because I, I love education. I love the yeah. public education world, man. I'm a huge – just a big advocate of it. Um, and that when he graduated, that I would maybe just teach so that I could go spend those two years that she had left in school just not missing anything that she did. And I was, it ended up being a different route, but I was able to do that. But my son, he's, he said, I want to coach. And so he's, he actually has a pretty good gig. He's on the equipment staff with A&M football. And uh, man, he's, he works probably during the fall, he'll work 50 or 60 hours a week and take a full load of 15 hours yeah. and travel to every game on the road. I mean, he's on the sideline of every Texas A&M football game. And it's a, it's yeah. a really neat yeah. experience that he gets to do. And, uh, and I thought when he went into it, man, I almost felt like I found myself trying to talk him out of it at some point. Like, man, you could, he could have got into the engineering school at A&M in my eyes. I'm going, man, go do that and make four times what you would coaching. Um, go do that and, and have less hours than you did coaching. But then, you know, my wife and I are talking one night and we go, you know, education already has people leaving in droves and, and I'm one of them. I mean, who am I to talk mm -hmm. about anyone? but also less people getting into it. And of course I'm biased. I think my son's a pretty good kid. And I go, who am I to talk him out of doing for one, what he loves to do. Amen. And two, keeping a good person from getting back into education and we need them as bad as we ever have. And so Absolutely. We, we went and, and, and our, our answer was, you know, you said you can look at a, a paying job. Is it low paying? Is it high paying? I don't know, but we've always had 
a decent house and we've never had trouble putting food on the table and we've always driven decent cars and our kids yeah. have lived a good life. So yeah. I think it's all what you make of it. And, and so I, here I am trying to talk him out of, Hey, go make more money because you'll live a better life instead of going, go do what you love, learn how to be Absolutely. frugal with what you got. And you're going to live as good a life as you want to. Totally agree, coach. Man, it could, couldn't have said it better myself, man. To totally agree with all of that. Now we've, we've touched on your early time, uh, you know, at Burnett getting started for your coaching career. But then you also went to Midlothian. You, you referenced that you were in the Metroplex. So for those that don't know about Midlothian, I would say it's kind of like the southern tip of the DFW Metroplex. It's mm -hmm. kind of there in between uh, Waxahachie and Mansfield. And uh, that is, that's where you, you coached before coming back to Burnett. But you were there for from 06 to 14. So uh, a pretty long time there. Um, what, what led you to go leave the Burnett area to, to head up to the Metroplex? So we, we, uh, like I said, in, in Oh two and Oh three, uh, we were fortunate enough to play in back-to-back -back state championship games here in Burnett. And, uh, and like you said, when you're a part of a successful staff, it opens up some doors for some people. So our defensive coordinator actually left after that year that we played in the second state championship game, he took the head coaching job in Rockdale and he asked me to go with him and go be his offensive coordinator there. And we didn't go because we were we loved being here in Burnett. We weren't going to leave. Um, we we're going to leave yet. <laughs> and he went to Rockdale for two years. And after being in Rockdale for two years, he went to he took the job in Midlothian. Well, he called me again, and uh, he said, "Man, come up here and and come be a part of our staff in Midlothian." So we went up there and visited. And Midlothian's a really neat town. You're right; it's south of the Metroplex. You really go to it. You don't feel like you're in the big city, but you could be in the stockyards in Fort Worth or downtown Dallas in 30 minutes from, from Midlothian. And uh, so it's a really neat location, great school district. Uh, they had just built at the time, and this number is almost funny to people, a $12 million stadium, new stadium, which if, if you go to their stadium, it's, I think it's one of the best high school stadiums in Texas. It's, it's not too big. It holds about 15,000. You can find bigger ones, but when it's full, People are right on – no track around it. People are yeah, right on yeah, top of the that. field. Uh, press box is unbelievable. Locker rooms are unbelievable. Video scoreboard, unbelievable. And so they, they were doing a lot of stuff um, that was was pretty attractive. It was almost – he could kind of use that stuff to recruit coaches, you know, to, to get them up there. And and so – and some good friends of mine were going to be on the staff with them, and, and we just made the decision, you know, after lots of prayer that uh, we were going to make that move. So we went up there, and, and uh, man, you know – you. I think if you if you're looking for it, you can always find the reasons where you, why you end up somewhere. And I was I coached with that was Robbie Clark, who was at uh, at Rockdale and then went to Midlothian, who I went with. I was there with him for four years and then he left. And uh, when he left, we were actually looking to get back towards Central Texas, back closer to home, which was Georgetown, where our family was back closer to Burnett that we knew of. But this area. And that spring, they hired Lee Wigginton as the as the head coach at Midlothian High School, who now Lee is the head coach at Allen, Allen. High School, yep. and and the president of the Texas High School Coaches Association. Well, Lee and I hit it off. I mean, from the time we met, and we're actually, I mean, he's one of my best friends in life now. In fact, the last three summers, his wife and him and me and my wife have vacationed together. I mean, we're just they've become great friends. And so I spent where I thought I was going to leave. Uh, God kind of smacked me in the back of the head and said, well, let me introduce you to this guy. And I ended up staying there with him uh, for four years. And, and I, I don't know if I was ever ready to be a head coach. I told you earlier, I really wasn't looking to do it whenever I got the job. Um, it was kind of a, a unique situation. Um, but my four years there with him, man, I, I felt like I became, I probably grew as a coach more those four years than I had the, the previous, however many that was, 10 or 12 combined. 
And uh, he just, uh, and, and you know, what's interesting about it is, you know, we talked earlier about Art Browse won a bunch of games, spreading the ball out and doing all this. And Coach Abernathy, who I first worked for, won a bunch of games running double tight wishbone. And I got with him and he is, he is the picture of that stuff doesn't matter. If you don't build relationships with your coaches, if you don't build relationships with your players, if you don't build relationships with your parents, with your community, then none of that stuff really matters because if you if you lose, it's going to be miserable. If you win, you've got someone to enjoy that with, you know, and, and you've got people who love each other and rally around each other and you can enjoy all those things together because if you don't have relationships, you can win games, but do you really enjoy that? You know, is it is it as fun? I tell people all the time that I, I rank my – if you said rank your 23 years of coaching in order from favorite to least favorite, it would be really easy to go, well, the times we won the most are my favorite. And to me, that, that – is that a factor? Sure it is. But I would go by the staffs that I was on, the staffs where you went, man, we all loved each other and cared for each other and our families loved each other and we loved hanging out. You know, you'd work a 90-hour week and then the the five hours that you have off on a Saturday afternoon, you spend it together at someone's house watching football and, and yeah. barbecuing or something, you know. Yep. And uh, he was the guy that went, let you know, his my, my I use a saying of his when I came to burn it that that I learned from him is if you do all of that stuff right, the scoreboard will take care of itself. Right. Like you can't you can't run a one play to win a game. You can't, you know, and, and if you're scoreboard watching all the time and the only thing that you do to determine your success is what the numbers on the scoreboard say, then you'll never get everything out of this profession. He said, go build relationships, go work kids really hard, go, go do your due diligence and in, in preparing as best you can. And then on Friday night, if you do all that stuff, at the end of a game, the scoreboard's going to be what it's going to be anyway. You know, that score was decided long before we ever got on the field. And so let let that's going to be what it's going to be. So do all those other things right and let the scoreboard take care of itself. And so my time in Midlothian was was awesome with, with Coach Clark uh, and with Coach Wigginton. But um, I just really, really enjoyed it. And still some of, you know, my best friend from college, I told you, is he stayed up there the whole – We he actually was in Burnett with me. We both went to Midlothian. We came back and they stayed up there, and now he's one of the principals at one of the high schools there in in, uh, in Midlothian. So it's just funny how those paths, man. They just they kind of go crazy, but but really really enjoyed our time there. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the 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 six six degrees of Kevin Bacon and all that kind of stuff we joked about earlier. <laughs> the next guest on the show is Larry McRae, and he's the former head coach at Clear Lake, and he's now coming. He's to on post- staff with Coach Wiggins. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yep. So and- they they were uh, they were together in. Uh, comfort i believe uh early in their career mm-hmm. and then um and so when i was with coach wigginton when we would go to coaching school or a clinic or something coach mccray big layers what he calls him he big, said yep, that, uh, he said hey right. man let's go holler let's go holler big layer and we'd go uh we'd go see him and and uh man what a great guy big old teddy bear yeah he, he, he is excellent now the last thing you mentioned the scoreboard and I work for Dactronics and we're a scoreboard company <laughs> and I, and that's a Dactronics video board product at that stadium you're talking about. And I wanted to ask yeah. if you know this guy, Ron Bland, did you, I do know Ron, he runs all the, all the, all the video stuff. At, he's phenomenal. Absolutely. Runs all the video stuff at Midlothian high school. And now of course they have two high schools now, but uh, when we were there, uh, part of another bond was they started, uh, I think it was called Panther news. And they have a – I don't know if you've toured that high school campus and seen some of the technology they have, but they have a facility when you, it's in the high school, at Midlothian High School, not at Heritage. 
And it is a like you could run the DFW or Austin area news out of this news station they have. They've got a radio room with boom mics and they've got the desk set up there with the backdrop. And I mean, the nicest cameras you've ever seen. And then, yeah. of course, I walk into it, you know, you take me in a press box like theirs and go into the control room of the video board. It looks like I'm like, are we launching a satellite to the right. moon or are we just yeah, trying yeah. to put the score on the board? And, and Ron is <laughs> phenomenal. He's a great, great guy to really like Ron. Yeah, coach, totally agree. And so for us as the vendor, man, like he he's the most impressive we've ever seen. And so we actually, whenever we put on clinics for all of our different users, or we do like a little retreat kind of thing, a lot of times he's the keynote speaker because of everything you described that he does. So That's yeah, awesome. Big shout out That's to awesome. Ron Bland. Now, coach, I got a question. He just settled like a debate for me. I and mean, you're, you're unbiased because you're, you're not a Houston guy or a Metroplex <laughs> guy. You're, you're, you're a Hill Country yeah. guy. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. there can be a little bit of a rivalry, perhaps, or perceived yeah. rivalry between DFW and Houston. You know, my podcast yeah. is mostly Houston based. I listen to a lot of uh, our greater Houston Football Coaches Association podcast. Uh, my, my good friend hosted Andres Gomez, the head coach at Houston Northbrook area, Spring Branch Northbrook. And um, I can tell some of the older coaches in Houston, they really kind of have a rivalry there. And they talk about the, <laughs> the fellowship and the bond that we have here in Houston and our yeah. coaches association. And they kind of sometimes say maybe Dallas is a little more cutthroat or a little less fraternity. I've heard those kinds of things being said. And also the fact, you know, Jerry Edwards from Harker Heights, another good friend of mine, he, he's going to Colleyville Heritage now, and he's mm-hmm. coached in all of them, right? I mean, he's coached in Houston when he was here at Fort mm-hmm. Ben Clements. He's coached in the Metroplex. And he said, yeah, there is a little bit of a rivalry, you know, between the, <laughs> the, the Metroplex guys and Houston guys. Metroplex guys kicked our butt at state this year. With us, we're, we're, <laughs> all of our Katie's and North Shores were all gearing up yeah. to try to do better this yeah. year. But you talk to me about that, man, because you're somebody that came from the Hill Country, but you've been in the yeah. Metroplex. Is, is there kind of like a – regional rivalry like in the metroplex versus houston or do you sense any kind of the stuff that i just brought up do you sense any of it you know i wish in midlothian we'd have been good enough to get far enough in the playoffs to be a part of a rivalry with the houston area school we, <laughs> sure, we, sure. we weren't while we were there but but i think there is especially you know you look at the last few years and it's been duncanville north shore sure. times three now is that right and no, i believe and so, so yeah. that's i think i think it's kind of ramped up with that yeah. um Man, we did not I, – I, my time there, I, I tell you what's wild, my last few years, and, and this is kind of why we came back to Vernon, or one of the factors is my son was going into sixth grade, my daughter into fourth, and they played everything. You know, it was – we didn't do the uh, year-round stuff. It was, you know, flag football season, then yep, it was yep, basketball, yep. then it was t-ball, whatever it was, and he still wanted to do that. Well, we're sitting in there in a district with Duncanville, DeSoto, Cedar Hill, Mansfield Timberview, wow. Mansfield yeah. High, and you're going, you you got, like, even at Midlothian, we had one kid the last year I was there that was a varsity two-sport athlete in the major sports. He was our quarterback, and he played shortstop, and he was – we had no – very few, at maybe at all, other baseball or basketball football players that, that uh, did it all together. And, and so, um, it – that being in that, I, I went – you know, my son can go – Step on a football, and my son's about, I don't know, 5'9", 145 pounds soaking wet. And I go, he can step on a football field with Cedar Hill, Duncanville, or DeSoto, or we can get back to the hill country and get sure. smaller and give himself sure, a chance sure. to go. Be, and not just football, but be able to do a bunch of sports and year-round and have a chance to be successful in all of them. But we we never had that, man. Coach McGuire was at at, uh, at Cedar Hill at the time when we were there. Uh, he was um, – phenomenal to us his he has two kids his daughter they lived in the midlothian school district and he coached at cedar hill well so his kids were in the midlothian school district his daughter power lifted for me at midlothian high school his son uh through about middle school 
uh, played quarterback in our middle school system and then ended up going to Cedar Hill and, and playing for dad over there. But uh, so it, it would have been natural. You know, we're 10 miles from them uh, to have some kind of rivalry there. But Coach McGuire was I mean, he was a, he was an awesome guy. And, and obviously we wanted to beat each other when we played each other. But uh, it was kind of a fraternity. And really everyone in that district at the time, uh, Claude Mathis was at DeSoto. Um, uh, I'm trying to think who I was everywhere else. But we, we never had – just in, in our south region where we were in the southern part, mm-hmm. man, we, we all – it seemed like we all got along really well. We had a DFW uh, coaching clinic that, uh, that we would do. And actually uh, we had one in the spring that was every Tuesday night that would rotate between – North Texas, SMU, and TCU, and, man, it was packed every night, and there was just good dudes in there, and so we all got along really well. Now, uh, you know, that, so the rivalry, I guess, in the Metroplex wasn't as bad as maybe, you know, I'm sure if you would have gone, hey, North Shore, if you'd have walked in that North Texas clinic and said North Shore is the best program in the state, you might have had some head turns and go, hey, hold sure, up, sure, there, sure. you know. So, but yeah. uh, so I, I, I think uh, just in my dealings that, I've seen that ramp up a lot more here recently, you know, the last six or eight years, as you've seen, you know, uh, Duncanville, we were, when we were at Midlothian, we didn't get off the bus and look the same as, as Duncanville or Cedar Hill or DeSoto, but you know, we beat Duncanville twice while we were there. We beat Cedar Hill once. Um, and we had some success and, and, uh, coach Wig was a huge part of that. I'd tell anybody, anyone that would listen, I think he's the best head coach in the state of Texas. I'm sure that'll stir up some, you know, there's other people probably with better records and obviously more state championships. But uh, I just I've seen what he does, not just on a Friday night, but man, on a, a Tuesday morning in February or whatever. And, and just all that he does is, is a program. I, he, I'm just a huge fan of his. But um, I know I'm rambling here, but to answer your question, um, I think naturally there's a rivalry because those teams all end up playing each other in the semifinals right. and finals. And so there's always some bragging rights there. You know, what area code was best that year? Yeah. Uh, but but the bottom line is there's phenomenal talent in both of those places. Sure, and, sure. and the DFW may be able to, to brag right now, but you never know what's going to happen next year or the year after that. I love your point on Coach Wigginton, too. And I can't wait to see what he does in Allen. I mean, here you go. This is it. He's got an opportunity with a great program, great tradition, great resources. So that's going to be a fun one to watch. Now, Coach, another thing that you and I share in common, two-year head coaching career. You know, uh, from, from what you said there, and uh, I, I don't know if your record was—I was two and eighteen. What what was yours? I, mean, I was, uh, man. Let's see. I went uh, five and five the first year, and then I want to say six and five, or I'm sorry, five and six. No, 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 no. Six and five the next year. We lost in the first round, but I think oh, okay. I know I, we either went six and four. I think one of those games we got coveted out, so I, I may have been. Five and six. So I was right about 500. I should know that better. It's funny you ask that. I don't know the exact number, but it was might have been like 10 and 10 or 10 and 11 or 11 and 11 or something like that. No, I, I love it, though, because like you said, you're not defined by the scoreboard and the records. And you, I can, <laughs> yeah. you're living that. that's a good thing, man, because I mean, for us, we went two and eight my first year and then oh and 10 my second year. And I I felt like we we're taking such a step back and that that, that really weighed on me. And I, I, I shouldered the blame for that myself. I put a lot you know, on myself, but also really for me. It wasn't even the football. I love being the head football coach at Aldine High School. You know, we were 0 and 10 and 2 and 8, but one the first year we beat a playoff team. I always talk about this. We beat we beat Aldine Nimitz and they went to the playoffs. That was pretty cool, you yeah. know, for a two win yeah. team to do that. But for me, coach, the difficult part was the campus athletic coordinator piece. And I don't know if it's a little different in Burnett since it's a one horse town and maybe your 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 main AD handles more of that. I'm not sure. I've I've heard some coaches uh, kind of tell me that, but 
I really struggled with that. I think a lot of times that when we're moving up that ladder from position coach to coordinator, we're, we're only thinking about football. We want, we're junior being head football coaches. We don't think about mm -hmm. handling when the volleyball coach and the basketball coach don't want to share gym space or athletes or this, that, and the other, right. Or yeah. handling yeah. an upset parent for another sport, like those kinds of things. We don't think about those. Did you get to interact? Cause it sounds like the reason you left was more family related. I mean, you guys were doing pretty good too. So it wasn't like losing yeah. or anything that drove you out or, you know, yeah. you, you left on your own accord, but I'm curious. Cause mm -hmm. this, this, this is something that you can't, I've heard this a lot coach. And I love this quote. You don't know what it's like till you sit in that seat. And I fully oh, subscribe to that. So for my, for my coaches listening to do aspire to be head coaches or campus athletic coordinators, what advice can you give uh, on just that whole position and anything that any advice you, you could, you could bestow on them? So my, my story was I came back to Burnett and actually came back. Uh, a guy that was on staff with us when I was originally here had become the head football coach. And uh, I came back and worked for him. And went, so I, had, I came back in 2014. And then in the spring of – man, I get my, my years. I'll get messed up. Let's see, 1920. 1920 were my two years as a head coach. So in the spring of 19 – they decided to split the AD and head football job here at Burnett. And so he was the head coach and athletic director. And so he wanted to take the athletic director job. And he, he literally, he's my neighbor. In fact, I'm looking out his window at his house back here. <laughs> and uh, he calls me one evening. This is, uh, it's mid spring. And he said, uh, he said, Hey, um, no, it's early in the spring. Anyway, he, he said, uh, Hey, I'm about to drive by your house, jump in the truck. And, I, and that's not like him. So it was kind of, odd and I'm like man I guess I'm about to get fired I told my wife I said do we have any U-Haul boxes in the in the in, in the garage and yeah. and uh, so I go out there and jump in the truck and he said uh hey here's what's going to happen is uh they've decided and they had talked about it for a year or so of splitting those titles but they'd never done it he said they are going to split those titles I'm going to take the AD job he said uh, our superintendent's going to call you in tomorrow and offer you the head football job and so I'm sitting there like you know I had I had earlier in my career look for head coaching jobs and interviewed and never got one. And then it kind of settled into, I'm okay with that. You know, I can right. go be it. I always coached on the offensive side. I can go be an offensive coordinator the rest of my career and be fine with that. And, uh, and then that happens and I take it and I loved every second of it. It was so special because my, it was going into my son's junior and senior year. And so we got to kind of do that together. Right. Uh, so my role really, I, I didn't have to deal with it on that that scale sure, I was sure, I'm sure. not I wasn't the voice coordinator I wasn't I've coached football now um all you do have to deal with your coaching staff still though so when you talk about uh you know you you never know until you sit in that seat you know I used to sit in the office and go man it sure would be nice to have another conference period golly man why do they not go fight for us for these things well you realize that they, maybe they Good are example. fighting for you and they just can't do it yet. You know, uh, yep. But man, and I always did the equipment stuff you know, even before I was the head coach and man, I can't believe our budget's so low, you know, and, and, you know, you don't, all you, all you think about is whatever's affecting you at the time, but not how, what the big overall picture looks like. And then you go sit in that seat and they come in arguing that you go to a principal or, or whoever to talk about, Hey, here's what we need to try to do. And they give you some pretty clear reasons why that can't happen. Well, now you've right. got to go back to your staff and go, hey, we're not going to do that. And it looks like maybe I didn't go fight for you, but I did. But but here's what we are going to do to try to. So it's sure. it's just such a big puzzle, man. And, and everybody's got a – and, and, and it's the, the thing about Coach – I go back to Coach Wig where he went build relationships first. I had to have a good enough relationship with my coordinators or my assistant coaches to where – when I couldn't get something done for them that I may have really tried to go do that, they knew that, you know, they knew I went and fought for them. 
So it wasn't like they went, well, if he's not going to fight for me and they're not going to do anything, I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. You know, I was pretty proud of the fact I had very little staff turnover. I not only did it two years, but I think I had one or two guys that I, that I replaced uh, from year one to year two. And the other two guys were guys that went on to, you know, family reason or whatever, had to move somewhere else. And so um, it's, uh, it's definitely, you always have to have the big picture in mind and not just the, it was easy to be an offense coordinator and go hole up in a room and watch film and do practice plans and make a game plan because I wasn't worried about the defensive side or special teams or, or whatever else was going on, man. I totally could laser agree. focus on this. And then you sit in that seat and you go, man, it's all of it. And, uh, and so it, it does, it changes the game drastically. I always say, man, my, my favorite time in my coaching career was at Ridgepoint high school as a defensive coordinator. And you're, you're just locked in yeah. on what you're doing, man. It's yeah. so much yeah. fun. It's so much fun as a coordinator, but um, yeah, cause you also get that, you get some power and just control and decision-making and play yeah, calling yeah. without all of the things that come along with being a head coach. So yeah, I totally agree with you there. And so coach, you know, you got out of coaching. What are you doing now? So uh, my hundred percent plan was we didn't leave burn. We love burn. Um, when did our, what did our son had graduated from here the year that I stepped down, our daughter was still here. We wanted her to finish school here. Uh, it's been home for us. It still is home. I mean, we've, uh, we try to be a big part of the community still, uh, even outside the coaching capacity. But my plan was to just teach, um, had that all set up with the principal. Uh, I was going to, there was a couple different options on what I was going to teach, but that was the plan. And uh, I, it was funny. We have, it's called Blue Bonnet Festival here in Barnett. It's our, you know, they got the watermelon thump in Luling and the, we've got the Blue Bonnet Festival in Barnett. And uh, they had somebody play, was playing music this Saturday night down there on the square. And of course, everybody in town's down there. And I run across, and I had, I had resigned a couple weeks before this thing. And so everybody I saw, it was, man, what's, go-? you know, everybody assumes the worst, you know. Right. And so I had to, felt, felt myself defending me and defending the district, just kind of defending everything. And, and uh, but I, I ran across a dad of a kid who was a uh, freshman for me at the time. I, you know, he had been in our program for a few years. His daughter had been a uh, trainer for us, <coughs> excuse me. And uh, he was a home builder here. And he said, uh, we're just kind of talking. He goes, well, what are you going to do this summer? I said, well, man, I don't know. I've never had a summer where it wasn't workouts and seven on seven and getting stuff ready. I've never had a summer. And he said, uh, well, man, if you want, come work for me and, and uh, you can work whatever days you want to work five days a week or a few days a week. And it was just going to be go to job sites and check on stuff or take some material over here. I mean, pretty basic stuff. In fact, my son, the last few years has done it for him. I mean, it was, but it was going to be a time filler and a way to make a little bit of extra money. And so I went and did that for about two or three weeks with him. And he called me in one day and he said, what do you think about coming on full time as a project manager? And I said, well, let me preface this with, I don't know anything about how to build a house. Like I had nothing. I know where the front door is and the, those are windows. Cause I can see through them. That's about it, you know? And, and, uh, and so he said, well, man, I'll teach you what you need to know. He said, it's less complicated than you think. We've got a great system in place. And it's so funny when you get into other worlds and you start to see the similarities of coaching and other worlds, you know? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so uh, I did that and had to call the school, man. One of the toughest calls I ever made was calling our, superintendent and principal to go, Hey man, I think I'm going to try this something else. Cause it, you know, it was one thing to get out of coaching. That was hard enough, man. It, I can't tell you because I, I, I always knew I might do it at that time, but I didn't think I was going to be the head coach at that time, you know? And, and so having to step down from that was really hard, but then having to call them and say, Hey, I think I'm getting out of education altogether. That was really, really, really tough. And so I did that for a year for him. And then, Man, we had uh, my wife had some family move to. We talked about people coming out of Austin to these smaller schools. 
she had a cousin move from Cedar Park to burn it. And they actually had about three other families that moved with them. We got to know all them really well. Well, one of them is the uh, regional manager, if you will, for Elliott Electric Supply, pretty nationwide electric supplier. And we had uh, been to the lake a few times with them and gone out to eat a few times. And just randomly one night, he said, hey, what do you think about getting into sales? And I said, well, let me I'll tell you that I know a lot less about electrical supplies than I did building the house whenever I started doing that. I know that. You know, I know the difference in a plug and a switch and I'm done right there. Mm. And uh, he's and kind of the same thing. He said, man, it's uh, he said, I'd hire coaches all day long sure. because y'all know how to build relationships with people. Y'all know how to handle yourself in stressful situations. Y'all know how to. And it's funny. And, and <laughs> you get into a new world and what they think is a stressful situation is mm-hmm. that you kind of go, if you, you had, you've never coached before, <laughs> if you think this is stressful, I said, I always tell them, I said, look, you know, when they get worried about stuff, I said, Hey, go look a mom in the eye and tell her her kid's not good enough to play. And then you'll know what stress is. You know? And, right, and sure, uh, yeah. so, so now, um, and I have for about the last year, I worked for Elliott electric supply and I sell, I, I do outside sales for them. So it probably very similar to what you do, coach. I, sure. I go, I've got about uh, 25 customers in the Burnett Marble Falls, uh, Liberty Hill, Cedar Park, Georgetown area. And man, I go see them and, uh, they tell me what they need and I get that stuff turned in and we get them stuff. And it's so, so I, uh, I tell the coaches, I said, man, I'm your BSN rep now, but instead of shoulder pads, I sell you light switches, you know? So, um, it's, uh, it's, but what you find out is it's, it's a people, everything's a people business. I tell my son all the time, I'm like, you know, he's, he's has such, he's a, you know, junior in college and big wide eyes and he's got all these plans that he wants to go do. And I think it's awesome. And I'm so proud of him, but I want to go, man, just always make it about people, the people that you're currently around, the people that you're trying to be around, eventually the kids that you coach, if you make things about people, jobs man it just jobs are so much more fulfilling you know you talk about ron bland and you go you i can tell by the way you talk about him you kind of have a relationship he's not just some dude you sold a scoreboard to mm-hmm. he's a guy that you could call and, and and just talk about because you've built a relationship and and that's what uh that's all i've tried to do because i don't have the knowledge to walk in and tell them what they need these guys are electricians they know way better than than i do about sure, what i'm sure. trying to sell them it's uh it's more that they know i'll be there for them that you know, I walk in and want to ask them questions that don't have anything to do with it. And they can tell I care a little bit. We've built some relationships and, and, and it's kind of the same thing. I, I use the, don't look at the scoreboard reference to some of the other outside sales guys who have been doing this longer than me, because we have an app and I can up to the minute check to see what I've made that day or what I've sold that day. And right. I go, man, if I'm checking that all the time, am I really doing the work it takes to make that what it needs to be anyway? That's like, right, right. that's like staring at the scoreboard all the time, you know, go do the work. And then, eventually check that scoreboard and see what it is, you know, cause it's going to take care of itself if you do all the work, right? Well, coach, I can tell you and I are kind of wired a lot the same way. And I mean, people always ask me like what I miss about coaching and wh- what I ever come back. And I always say like, I think a lot of times it's co- teaching is stressful. And, and from what I hear, it's getting worse. I mean, I'll, I talk to my yeah. guys and they, things are getting worse in society or this, that, and the other. And I just always say, just be careful. The grass isn't always greener. Because before Dactronics, I had done several other sales jobs that just weren't the right fit. And I, you know, I would much rather coach than do and, and teach than, than do some of those others. Like I just found Dactronics, which was a perfect fit for me. It sounds like what you're doing is the same or you really yeah. enjoy it. But the one thing that yeah. people ask, do I miss the coach? It's not even, it's not, of course, the football. I just miss like that feeling of like those guys that I coached in my last year and before that. 
those are the last relationships I'm ever going to have. And they're great relationships. But yeah. I don't get to build yeah. new ones every year. And I just hope coaches listening, man, I hope that's just refilling your cup is you get that privilege of like getting that new class every year that you're going to build these lifetime relationships with, man. So that, that is the thing I miss the most. And I'm, I'm sure you kind of feel the same, but any, you want to yeah, speak to that it, at all? You know, I, uh, I know the Sundays and I do, I miss relationships with kids big time. And I know, I also know that's the, the, you know, the Sunday school answer, if you will, that you're supposed to get. And I do miss that stuff. But so I, my family and I, we went to Galveston last weekend with my wife's family. And on the way back, we stopped in Houston at coaching school Sunday night. Yeah. Uh, Coach Wigginton being the outgoing president, uh, they were having a, a little shindig for him um, at, at, uh, at one of the hotels there. And I went there and that room, you know, we walked in and before you know it, that room's full of 200 coaches. And, and I miss, I, I tell people, I miss, you can't replicate a Friday night. There's, there's nothing yeah. like that, yeah. but man, I miss the coach's office because I don't, you can go to a bunch of professions and not find the, just the group of men with such a common vision with uh, and, and I've been on some staffs that I've enjoyed more than others, but, but uh, when you find the right one, man, the coach's office is, I think, such a special place where you go, man, I, I care that we go win a game, but I also care that, man, your wife is having a kid next week, and I hope all that goes good, you know. I care that, uh, you know, I, I, told, I told our guys, and this was, uh, this was a Coach Wigginton deal too, is, and, he, and he'll tell you, he'll be the first one to come on here and tell you that they work more hours and longer and harder than anybody in the state. He's not easy to work for, you know. He's, he's a grinder. Uh, but, um, I would tell the coaches on my staff, I said, if you're, ki- if we're here on a Saturday morning and your kid is playing in a T-ball game and you don't go watch it because you sit in here and watch film and I find out I'm going to fire you because yeah. I don't, I don't want this to become the reason that you're not at your kid's stuff. And I think when you get on staffs that care about each other enough to go, man, we want our families to love this and all be bought in together and I'll just be in this together. Man, I missed the heck out of that. And and it's funny going to coaching school. We were up in that up at that deal for him. And I told my wife, I said, Hey, I may run by the job room when we leave here. And she said, No, you're not. And so I didn't. <laughs> man, coach, I love that, man. Cause you're right. Obviously, the, the kids, the kids part jumps to your head, but like I, I'm always remiss to talk about those coaching relationships too. And you're so right. Like, like I've been on some of those great staffs, and like, you know, I I stopped coaching in 20 uh 2016 was my last year. I mean, time flies by, but like I was out way too late on Monday night with some of my buddies, you know, that are the, 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 the Katie seven Lake staff who are yeah. my old friends from Ridgepoint, you know, and, yeah. you know, even though I'm not a coach anymore, they still welcome me with open arms and we throw back some yeah. beers and reminisce about the good times. And it's just like, you're right. It's a special group of, of men and women that do this. And I'm, I'm honored just to be a, somewhat a uh, slight part a, of it. So it's a fraternity for sure. Yeah. Unlike any other profession, that's for sure. Well, coach now something a little more somber, you know, um, for me, you know, I know all my listeners know this. I always talk about this, but my first time meeting you, you know, my, I was in an abusive house. You know, my dad was, was abusive and stuff. And so I had kind of lost respect for him during that critical adolescent time. And so I was def, definitely like seeking a male, uh, you know, role model, a father figure type. And I found that in my coaches at Fort Bend Austin High School, particularly Coach Kitterman. I always talk about uh, I am actually trying to get him as my 100th episode. That's my plan. So for episode 100, I want to bring him on because he really saved my life, man. And he's now the, the again, he's the OC at Sci Falls and a great coach. And he was just he was just special. You know, he made me feel important. And he I wanted to go to school every day and make Coach Kitterman proud of me. You know, that was my thing. And so now that I'm doing uh, I do broadcasting and podcasting to stay at part of the game and stuff and 
I see some of the negative behavior now in the stands, like back, I used to be on the field and the headsets. Maybe I'm not seeing all of this. I see this negative stuff directed at coaches, directed at officials, directed at other kids or parents. It just really drains me, man, because I look at the real important thing is that kid who's coming from a bad house and he loves his coach and he just wants to be a part of it. Right. Like that's all that really matters. All this other stuff doesn't matter that people bitch about. Right. So yeah, yeah. it really bothers me. coach. Now you've been doing this for a long time and you know, you've been doing it at high levels. Do, are, are you seeing some of the same thing? And also your dad, so you've seen the youth culture too, but are you seeing this yeah. negative, some of the negativity in sports and what can we do to try to fight it? Cause I really think I would just want to keep sports as positive as possible and, and focus on sure. the, the real wise, you know? Yeah. I think uh, I, I told people that when I started my career, if I called a parent, they were livid at their kid and oh my God, I can't believe they did that. I'll be up there in a second. And then you almost felt for the kid about what was going to happen when they get home. Right. And I ended my career when you called a parent and said their kid did something, the reply was, well, what did y'all do? You know, what, what, why did that happen? What did y'all do to make that happen? And man, I don't know what the answer yeah. to that is, but I, we started every year, probably like 99% of the programs in the state with a parent meeting. And actually, when I was with Wiggins, and one of the things that he does, and I didn't do it here in, in Burnett um, when I was the head coach, but he does it even at Allen, is he does a home visit, in-home visit with every single player in his program. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so he he does it with – he'll go on – like him and I would do 10, and then him and another coach would do 10. But he would do that home visit. And, man, we would – we had this manual that we would give to him. And, and it's the manual that I use when I ended up doing my parent meeting – but it was just uh, the whole point of those. And then, then I took this into our preseason meeting with parents was to really, really, really clearly outline expectations for their kid right. and for them. And, and because then when an issue arises during the season, you can go, listen, we talked about this, you know, and, and a lot of it was, was um, you know, we covered things for one um, we wanted parents to know. And, and I think, when you can convince them of this, it makes it a lot harder for them to come attack you. I would tell them this. My daughter is going to play volleyball and basketball and soccer and tennis and run track and do all this. She's going to be around her coaches more than she's around me while she's in school, like pretty drastically drastic number of hours around them more than she's going to be around me. And I sure hope as a parent, that those coaches obviously are helping her become better at their sport, but I sure hope that they're keeping her safe, that they're encouraging her, that they're building her up because she's going to be around them more than she's around me. And, and so I, I hope that for those coaches. So what I wanted to assure parents was understand that I know that about me and our coaching staff, we're, we're going to have your sons more than you're going to have. them. If they play four years for us in high school, we're going to have your kids more than you're going to have them during the school year. I mean, and, and really during football season, not close. Like the hours they spend with us are going to be way more than the hours they spend with you. So I hope you, you know, I, in talking to parents, I tell them, I hope you know that I take that, I take that responsibility really, really seriously, that it's not just my job to teach them how to block the power or to right. uh, run a route to a certain depth. It's our job to help them grow up, but also to keep them safe and to take care of them. And I think when you can convince parents or do everything you can to convince parents that you're taking that approach with their kid, it makes it really hard for them to come to you just guns blazing pissed off about something because it, so we would talk to them about how, what a parent meeting was going to look like. We weren't going to meet with a parent on the field after a game. 
they were, I, but I would tell them I've got an open door policy. You can come in anytime. If I'm in there, you can come in and talk. I, you know, we'd always end with, you know, just to kind of be funny, but really seriously, like you can come to me to talk. We won't discuss playing time, which you know, as well as I do that every parent meeting leads back to playing time. You know, it's always going to start with, Hey, we just wanted to talk about uh, how so-and-so he's struggling in his math class and what you think we can do to help. And then 30 minutes later, they're going, he's caught one ball in the last four games. And why is he not, you know, they, they all lead back to that. But we would try to be very, very clear with parents that we will not sit down with you and discuss their playing time. You know, we always guaranteed parents on sub varsity levels, your kid is going to play in the game. We would say they're going to play fair, not equal. This is not about they're all going to get 20 snaps. Some players are going to get more snaps than others. That's how this works. But on the sub-varsity levels, JV and under, your kid will get in the game. I tell them, if you go to a game and your kid does not play in that game at all, zero snaps, then you are welcome to be in my office as upset as you want to be the next day because I'm looking you in the eye and telling you they will play. Now, once again, they might play five plays and they might play 100. We're not going to talk about those numbers. But if they don't play at all, you can come to me. On the varsity level, zero playing playing time is guaranteed because they're going to you're they're going to look at our staff down there during that meeting and there's going to be 15 guys from middle school to high school and they're going to they're going to fire us based on what happens on a Friday night and if that's the case we've got to do everything we can to put the best product on the field and so trying to be very 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 transparent about one how we're going to treat their kids and how we're going to care for their kids and then two the the things that we will and won't discuss with them that they're welcome to come in anytime we want it to be a family atmosphere y'all are as much a part of this as we are but we're not going to talk about things like playing time we're not going to have a discussion on the field after the game about we're not going to have a meeting then you know we're going to do it in an office setting and we're going to make it official uh so just you know in, in my time just trying to be as as upfront as transparent as you could with what your expectations were for them I think it I think it curbs a lot of the issues that you could possibly have during the season because when they come in and want to do that, it was pretty easy to bring up, look, man, we told you before the season we're not going to talk about playing time. You know, and then they want to go, well, what can he do to get better? And, you know, you, you're not allowed to say have better genetics, so you would have to skirt around that thing a little bit and and uh, and, and come up with some answers. But but it made it a little more amicable when you'd have those discussions. But man, I don't know. I mean, it's not just parents and sports. It's just society in general, you know, flip through social media. And I mean, we're just society is crazy right now. And I don't know what the what the right answer. Is. We need more voices of reason. And you look at politics and you go, I don't know that either side has a voice of reason that stands up there and just talks sensibly. You know, they all just want to fight each other. Well, that turns into, well, let's, anytime we disagree, that's what we're supposed to do is fight with each other. And it's just such the such the wrong approach. So, man, I. I wish I had some great answer for you, but I don't know if I know what it is. Man, Coach, you know, you're the first person I think that articulated it that specific way, but I love it. I've seen a meme that kind of says the same thing, that back in the early in our professions, right, you know, whenever the the teacher called the parent, it was, you know, what you said, like, what did you do to the kid? Now it's yeah. flipped the other way where the, you know, the, the meme has like the kid or the cartoon kind of has like the kid smirking and sitting there with his arms crossed, like yeah, enjoying yeah. watching his parent ream, you know, the teacher, the administrator yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And it, it's completely yeah. flipped on its head. I would agree with you. And to me, like, yeah, not, it's not the pay in education or anything like that. It's like it, that dynamic, I think is a scary thing. That dynamic yeah. of parents not sure. wanting to expect any responsibility and just like you raise my kid. And when he does wrong, like, yeah. why'd you mess it up? And yeah, that deflection yeah, of then, like blame or deflection of responsibility that that is scary. I'm with you. 
and and I think it's the number one factor in what's changing society. But then it's so funny to listen to people go, well, man, things were so much better when I was a kid. And you want to go like, well, you're maybe you're right, but it's like, <laughs> let's get back to the way we did. The, you know, some of those things. I mean, obviously, progress is a great thing, but um, man, that that's uh, that's one that's going to be a tough reversal. You know, Coach. No, I, I'm glad. I'm glad we talked about that. I, re I really like that. But let's let's kind of as we're kind of come towards the end here. I know you got your tea time here. You know, so we got to get moving. But some of the fun stories. You've had the luxury of coaching two quarterbacks that went on to play in the NFL. Of course, Stephen McGee at Burnett, uh, Texas A&M, uh, round four, pick number 101 to your Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, Bryce Petty, uh, the Baylor Bear uh, at Midlothian, round four, pick 103. So, you, man, you're right there together, 101, <laughs> 103 uh, to the Jets. But can you can you speak to – before you go, let me tell my story of the, the one pro quarterback I've crossed paths with, and I mentioned it earlier, was Derek Carr. Uh, he's now down. He was with the Raiders and now down at the Saints. Um, but he played at Clements. Here's one story I want to tell you that I had my, my one big interaction I have with Derek that I remember. I was just a young freshman coach, you know, but he, so I was nothing. I didn't actually coach him directly. I was a freshman B team coach, kind of, you know, some, you know, just to, mm -hmm. earning my stripes, so to speak. But I remember one day after school, it was in the off season, he was just throwing routes on the field. And, you know, I was, he, he would, we would always talk or whatever. And I, I came up to him and I said, at this time, we were running kind of like a, an I, a pro, we were a pro team running an I formation of wing T principles. Kind of, that's how I would describe our offense. At the same time, the spread was just becoming in vogue and our rival at Fort Bend Elkins had this quarterback uh, who was just lighting up the record books and, and passing for way more yardage, way more touchdowns than Derek was. And I asked him, I said, Hey Derek, do you ever, do you ever wish that we ran a spread so that you could kind of, you would have the opportunity to put up those same numbers, you know, that Burke Halter over at Elkins is putting up. And it was coach, this answer shocked me for a, you know, a 16 year old or whatever it was at the time to say that he looked me right in the eye with zero hesitation. Not at all is what he said. I said, really? And he said, my goal is to play in the NFL coach. That's not what the spread and what he does and what they do is not what they do in the pros here at Clements. Like we're running bootleg and waggle and I'm throwing the deep comeback. Like I want to make yeah. NFL throws. I love our offense. Yeah. That mindset from a junior yeah, in high seven, I guess 17 year old junior in high school to just be that focused pro athletes are just different. In my opinion, the ones that I have met, oh, they yeah. are wired different. Like Derek was, yeah. can you, could you see any of that from Steven or Bryce where you kind of like saw like, man, this well, is make it. Yeah. Both of them were wired different. Also that they were both about six, three, 220 pounds. That but, helps too. Yeah. <laughs> that, that doesn't, that doesn't hurt at all. Right. Uh, um, but, but both just um, ultra dedicated, ultra competitive, you know, right. But also, you know, some people are, are, excuse my language, some people are competitive assholes and some people are competitive leaders, you know, and yep. you want yep. kids yep. that hate to lose and will do anything that it takes to win, but in that same breath, pull people in a good direction as they're doing it, not point blame as, it, as it's going on. And, and both of them were that guy. And they, they were guys that, that, that uh, always were perfecting their craft, whether it was camps or, you know, back when Steven was doing it, it wasn't like there was – you know, these specialty off season people that you went to. Um, I know when, when uh, we had Bryce at Midlothian, he would go to Kevin Murray up in the Metroplex who, who works with a lot of quarterbacks up there. Kyler's dad, you know, uh -huh. and, uh, and, but, but so there, there's, I guess those paths were a little bit different, but, but those two kids, I mean, if you sat them down in a room and started talking to both of them, you would see a ton of similarities in them in that they're just both, man, just dynamic people. You know what I mean? And, and probably a lot, like you said, with car, like what 17 year old 
says that. I mean, what 17-year-old quarterback doesn't go, yes, coach, I want to throw it every down because that would be a lot cooler. Right. You know, the ones right. that get right. it do that. The ones that, that get the big picture. And, and they're just both dynamic individuals. And they're both, you know, ultra successful in life, even after NFL careers, um, because of who they are as people, not because they're, you know, Stephen McGee's not great. At, he, 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 he's in the financial world in College Station right now. He's, he does very, very, very well. He's not great at that because he can throw a football. He's right. great at that because he's a dynamic personality. And yeah. you want people to see that. You want to go, look, I get it. I mean, as coaches, we want to go, yes, we would love for you to spend every waking moment going over hurdles and, and lifting weights and throwing the ball and doing all that. But you also have got to see the traits that make someone great. And uh, and dynamic leadership is maybe number one on that list. And people skills is way up on that list. And and a lot of times I think that those things get lost on, well, we just want to look good on this clip that I can put on Twitter, you know, running this triple move route against air that doesn't even matter, you know. And 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 uh, you go, man, that's all fine and good. You've got to have the skills to go play on that level. But you also got to have the traits to go play on that, the personality traits to go be successful like that. And uh, both of those kids had them big time. You know, Jordan played the NFL as well. And, and uh, I think not for injury, he would have had a pretty lengthy career. Yeah. Um, he, he was the same way. Just uh, he's actually moved back to Burnett and does, uh, does some ranch sales. And in fact, I think I got my Shipley I see that. Yeah. Shipley ranches. For, yeah. Little plug for Shipley ranches there, but he uh, just a dynamic individual too. And got that from his dad. Bob was the same way. And, and th those people are just, they're, they're not accidentally successful into the NFL, you know, and especially at a leadership position like quarterback. Um, there, a lot of that comes from, cause there's a lot of guys that can throw a football really well. Right. Uh, if you don't have, if you don't have that dynamic leadership ability, then, then your chance to be successful in a position like that is very, very slim. And both of those guys had that for sure. Man, coach, you, you really have dropped some gems today that I, I really enjoy. Cause I mean, I do a lot of these interviews and like, it's, it's, you've said a couple of things that I've never heard phrased the way you say it, man. I love that the, you know, we want dynamic leaders, not dynamic or, yeah. or asshole leaders. Right. I, I completely yeah. agree. We've all lived it. Right. We've all had yeah. the teammate who fancies himself or herself a leader. And all they want to do is just yell at you about how, you know, why, why we're yeah. losing because of the rest of us. When I, some of those, yeah. those people I've met, usually they've not walked the walk where they're actually the one putting in the yeah. work necessary to earn that, yeah. earn that as a leader. So, man, I, I love that distinction. Again, I've never heard it phrased quite that way. So uh, kudos to you there, coach. Now you also said um, you grew up as an Aggie fan, just to again, know a little bit more about you and your fandom. And right now you mentioned your son is a junior on the equipment staff of the football team at Texas A&M. And it's made it pretty special to follow them now that he's a part of the program. I got to ask though, man, when, when Jordan Shipley was starring for the horns or the T-Sips, <laughs> as some of you Aggies like to call them, was it, was it a little conflicting to, to, to kind of root yeah, for him? It or? was for sure. I, you know, People give me a hard time because especially with college athletics, you know, a lot of people say, you know, well, I'm a I'm a, a Red Raider. But if right. and, and if they're playing any Texas school, obviously, I want them to win. But, you know, like in a bowl game, if, if A&M or Texas are playing someone from out of state, then I would I want those those Texas teams to win. And I, I guess I'm just a I'm not that nice of a fan. Like I'm a fan of my teams and all the other teams. I want them to lose every game. I tell people all the time and it's it's really not this bad, but maybe it is. But I. I'll uh I'll spare Texas here. We'll say like the the Philadelphia Eagles being a Dallas fan. If the Philadelphia Eagles were playing Russia and something, I'd probably go for Russia. You know, that's just <laughs> I I I, str I struggle finding myself uh oh my God. go root for teams that I'm not supposed yeah. to. You know, and so 
when it was really neat as Jordan and Steven were both getting recruited. I mean, we would look up every day and burn it. And there was, you know, Mac Brown was here all the time. Dennis Francione was the head coach at Texas A&M at the time, but it was every who's who of college football was walking in that office to recruit those two kids. And they end up going different routes. And so I told everybody, um, man, I love Jordan so much. And I said, I would, the perfect game on a Saturday for me was for Texas to get beat and Jordan to have 250 yards sure. and four touchdowns, you know, <laughs> then I could cheer for him, but maybe I didn't have to quite cheer for the, the orange and white, you know, <laughs> coach. It's so funny, man. Cause again, like I, I, we are cut from the same cloth. Cause I'm the same way. Like my father-in-law, like he's a big, my, my wife's from Michigan. So I've kind of been adopted into a Michigan football family. I Ooh. love the Wolverines and he'll always be like, Oh, we get, you know, you got to root for the big 10 first. And I'm like, no, I'm never yeah. rooting for Ohio State. Like, I mean, and again, for me, as a t I'm a Texas fan, but I'm not an obnoxious one. Don't worry. It's, it's so funny, though, Coach. Like, I always say this. The Aggies that I meet, I love Aggies. Like, as far as, like, I think I, I, I gel more of Aggies than I do the, the Longhorn fan base. But I grew up watching Ricky Williams. And so, by God, yeah. I just prefer, yeah. as far as the football team, I prefer Texas yeah. over A&M. And I'm the same way, Coach. I root for A&M to lose every single game. The, the hard one <laughs> for me is that if Ohio State and A&M play, I don't know who I'm oh, That'd be tough. <laughs> no, but, but I respect A&M, man. I, like I said, I love the people. I just I love the people of A&M, but my, my fandom gets in the way sometimes. But as uh, far as your pro the, sports, you mentioned you're – yeah, yeah. You mentioned you're a big Cowboys fan, Rangers and Mavericks. So, you know, you're, you're Metroplex all the way there. Um, you're, that, that's from your time in college and getting those local channels probably shaped that a little bit. So the last thing that we always yeah. do, Coach, you're retired from coaching, but I'm going to let you put the whistle on one last time here. You're going to make some start bench cut decisions. You are a diehard Cowboys fan. I love your thing about the Eagles playing Russia and something. And you're going to, you're going <laughs> to, that was funny. That was legit funny, but you know, you you've coached, you've coached several NFL quarterbacks and some NFL wide receivers. So let's do, let's do a, a passing game edition, a, a Dem boys uh, passing game edition here for you. Let's start with the legendary number 88s. And I'm going to, I gave you an option here. So we're going to start one bench one, cut one. I've got Michael Irvin in there for sure. I'm not taking the playmaker out of this. But then for the other two spots, I gave you the choice of CeeDee Lamb, Drew Pearson, or Des Bryant. So you can remove one of those guys, whoever you think is fourth. And then I want you to go start bench cut for the other three receivers. So tell me what you got, Coach. You know, I would probably remove Drew Pearson for the simple fact that that I just – he played before I was, sure I was enough, watching. Enough, and so enough. it's yep. – it's uh, yep. I, I would take him out of there. And, man, th I, I'm going to – and I, I honestly hope I – I hope you have a million people listen to this, but none of them are people that I know because I'll never hear the end of this. Um, <laughs> I I would um, I think that I, anytime if if I'm putting an offense together and especially at receiver, I want dynamic people who like yeah, yeah. if I I don't have to complete a post to you for you to score. Like I could stand up and throw it to you and they can't tackle. You. And Des Bryant and CD are those two guys. So right. um, man, I. <laughs> I might start Des Bryant bench CD and and it's hard because I watched the Cowboys in the nineties yeah, win Super yeah. Bowl. I might have to cut Michael Irvin and I and that's that's like hurts my stomach. Sure. To say hey, this was I knew this one gonna be easy, Coach. This is tough. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love the dynamic and, and not that I feel like Irvin and it's probably the era that he played in was more about Absolutely. timing of right. You know, style. you were running comebacks and catching them. You were everything and now you know. Uh, the, the other two grew up in a time, especially CeeDee Lamb right now, where they are going to – you do see some RPO stuff in the NFL now where they're just going to try to get him the ball and you get to watch him be really dynamic. 
And man, I you know, Des caught that ball in Green Bay. I'll I'll go to my grave saying that. Right. And yeah. and I just man, Des was. I remember watching him at Oklahoma State, and uh, and and of course with the Cowboys. And man, he just uh, special, special, special. All right, so Coach Coach Rise, friends, get get your uh, email, get your fingers and, and letters right. <laughs> Team player podcast at gmail.com or Twitter. Uh, Jared Ryan. Now, now that's funny. So you're, you're going to start, you're going to start Des Bryant. You're going to bench CD lamb. You're going to cut the playmaker, yeah. Michael. I know it's hard. But... Well, you, you, you say you got to call him the playmaker when I cut him too. I appreciate that. Well, and then, man, coach, and that, that's the one thing, man, from our early generation nineties, we had nicknames. The kids don't have nicknames these days. Like CD lamb. Oh, yeah, yeah, I hate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But I will yeah. say you got to coach a lot of good pros. I coached against CD lamb. We escaped with a victory somehow when I was at Ridgepoint. We, we beat Fort, uh, or Lamar, consolidated Foster, uh, but he was something special. Back then, we all knew he was going to be special. But. Oh, man, and his, uh, his, his like, uh, highlight film from OU, and, and I'm not, not a huge OU fan by sure. any means, but, I mean, something – it's, like, otherworldly, you know, some of the plays he made while he was there. All right, Cowboys fans, if you thought that was – tough decision i got another tough one for him we're gonna to go to the signal signal caller edition and i've i've asked a lot of cowboys fans this question and there are very divided camps on this so i cannot wait to see what you say but we're gonna go we got to start one bench one cut one troy aikman tony romo perhaps maybe one of the most divisive in cowboys fandom mm. and dak prescott start one bench one cut one um you know, I, you gave me a little a little precursor to this, and I think I've changed this order ten times love since it. love it love uh, it. since I saw that because I'll I'll you know at first it was easy, and then it was like oh but wait but well but what about but then man but can you really do you know you start to question yourself but there's no way I can't start Troy uh, you know yeah. yep. grew up in the heyday of the '90s of watching them win Super Bowls and you know wondering if we'll ever get back to that point right. Um, it's just, it's hard to see him hold up three Super Bowl trophies and not start him. Um, I would probably bench Romo and I'd probably cut Dak. Let me preface it with this. I like Dak. I like Dak a lot. And I know there's a lot of Dak haters. I know he threw a bunch of interceptions last year, but I think, uh, and it's probably, you know, and this shouldn't, I don't know, should or shouldn't be the reason. I don't know if this is right or wrong, but as coaches, you know, what kind of character Dak has and what kind of person he is. Absolutely. And it makes you a lot bigger fan of his, makes it harder to say he's the one you would cut. But I do think that if you ask me this question, I'm going to call it out right here. If you ask me this questions in the next three years, I might change it because I think Dak wins the Super Bowl in the next three years. Hey, love it, man. And I, I'm with it. I'm a big Dak Prescott. I'm not, I'm not necessarily a Cowboys fan. The reason I have the jersey, I'm wearing a Charles Haley I was Haley fixing jersey. to say. I, I, I was going to I was gonna say, uh, it's, that's Charles Haley. That's, that's Charles day, Haley. Man. Yes, sir, man. So the thing that all my all fans it. of the show know is I have one hobby, and it's collecting jerseys. And it's an unhealthy addiction because I have hundreds of them, Coach. But that's the only thing I spend my money on. I don't, <laughs> I don't do any others. Uh, but I, I have everything. So this is my Cowboys jersey. And I got a Moose Johnston in the, in the Navy jersey so oh you, you yeah. can't you can't not be a moose johnson fan even if absolutely. you're not a cowboys fan absolutely coach man this was a true treat uh we're gonna get you out it's 4 32 so you're gonna get your tea time on time but if, if you've enjoyed this as much as i did please take a moment to give us a five-star rating again that drives us up the charts more people will find the show the more ratings that we have you can hit that follow button that'll subscribe you you'll hear a new episode as soon as they come out each week you can follow me on twitter at coach underscore kobo that's coach underscore kovo uh, join the team player revolution hit us up at team player podcast at gmail.com give us any feedback or guest recommendations and you know we lift up our own inside of here so if you give me a recommendation i will find that coach and, and, and get them on the show 
As always, awesome. the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast is provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr, and our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album. You can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. All right, Coach Jared Rye, thank you so much for coming on the show. Man, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks to all the team players out there for your support, and we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, insuring them. I'm just fine. I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough enough. But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now